Carolina What's up, guys? Welcome back to No Ducks Given, the podcast where we talk openly and honestly about the highs and lows in life, because vulnerability is a superpower, not a weakness. Today's guest is going to be talking to us about the power of betting on yourself. This guy is from a small town in Florida who always had this dream of being a photographer. And despite everybody's disencouragements to follow the career, saying that he could never make any money, he is today not only the photographer, but also the creative director for one of the biggest comedians of this generation, Hassan Minhaj. Tyler, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Well, what an intro. That was great. You killed it. I kind of did. Yeah, <laughs> that it was, was much better than I expected. It was great. Here's why. Because I know you. Yeah. We're friends. Yes. So I feel like it was very easy to introduce someone I know so well. Yeah, there you go. I thought you were going to be nervous because I, I was like, I don't want to look at her while she's doing it. <laughs> I don't want to like throw it off because it was going so well. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Oh, my God. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. I know you just got off of tour. How was that? It was great. Um, tour was awesome. It was for the King's Jester tour for uh, Hassan's most recent Netflix special. Um, it was it was crazy. It was the first tour I had ever shot. And it was, for me, a pretty big dream because I had been wanting to capture a tour for a long time. There's something interesting about like watching an artist in process that is really fascinating. I always thought it was going to be for like a rapper and not a Muslim comedian. But I'll take what I can get. I mean, it's really impressive how much you've been able to achieve. I mean, you're still so young too, right? You're 29, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, just turned 29. Can we tell people your age? Or yeah, you, yeah, 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 totally, totally. Some people just get like all, you know, shy about it. No. I'm not shy about my I'm age actually, at all. I'm actually, I'm so excited to turn 30. Me too, actually. Yeah, I can't wait. Okay. I think the 30s are going to be a great run. Yeah? Yeah, it's going to be so fun. Why? Everyone who I look up to, like all of my mentors and people that I aspire to be, they really just like everything kind of locked into place in the early 30s. And not that I think that my my life is like off the rails or anything, but my, my 20s were spent experimenting really heavily in a lot of different things, taking a bunch of weird swings at things that I didn't know if they would work or not. And for me, 30s feels like, okay, we can take all the learnings from the last 10 years and then funnel them into the things we want to do. And so... um. I'm just very excited for what that next chapter brings. I, I turned 29. I was like, I kind of just want to skip over and just be 30 already. So let's go back to like the beginning of your journey, because moving at 18 years old from a small town in Florida to New York City, you know, without any you know family support, having to pay for your own bills and bet on this career path that you have no mentor even for. Mm -hmm. So where did the courage come from to just bet on yourself like that? Um, I don't know if it was courage or ignorance, one or the other. Um, nothing about like taking these traditional paths was appealing to me. Um, and I also, for some reason, kind of, I don't maybe maybe in a weird way, it was a d disbelief in myself that I could not function in the traditional path. I was really bad at school. And, you know, I remember like ending high school. I have this very visceral memory of uh, being in history class. And the teacher's like, all right, we're going to go around the room and everyone's going to say where they're going to school and what they're going to do. And so everyone, everyone like had their shit together. I remember people were like, I'm going to go here and I'm going to be a dentist. I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this. <laughs> you know, I witnessed a lot of my family take those traditional paths and do everything right on paper. They always seemed a little like upset, I guess, with how things uh, panned out. And I, I felt like a lot of my family kind of 
lived for the weekends and were only concerned with how you were making money. They work to live kind of mentality. Totally, totally. And so I was like, okay, so even if everything goes wrong, I can still probably end up with that type of life. But what if everything goes right? And I just like go for it and I take a shot. And so that's what I did. And um, luckily it's, it's played out. So you got to New York, you're 18 years old. What do you do? Um, I mean, luckily, well, I was I was 21 when I moved. 21, when I actually, okay. When I actually moved was 21. And so I knew I wanted to be in New York. I had like taken a bunch of class trips here throughout school and I had met a couple photographers in the previous couple years, like as I was becoming very serious about photography and they were like, you need to go be an assistant in New York. Because initially my ambition was that I was gonna be like a portrait and fashion photographer. It was kind of the only, uh, I guess, genre of photography that I thought you could make a living in that wasn't weddings. And I remember um, being like, okay, I just need to figure out a way to get to New York so that at least bills are paid for a while and um, I can start figuring things out. And so I was watching a podcast uh, by Chase Jarvis, who I've become friends with over the last couple of years. And he had this guy uh, named Gary Vaynerchuk on a podcast who was there to promote uh, a new book. And I remember watching the podcast live. It was like a live talk show, basically, um, about 10 years ago, and was just obsessed with this guy. And I was like, he's saying all the things that make sense in my brain, right? The way he's talking about uh, creating and content and story and all these things, like it all like made sense. And I was like, I think I should go work for that guy. I just applied for basically every available internship at VaynerMedia for uh, the, the coming semester and I had I had just actually left school so I wasn't I wasn't in college anymore I had just dropped out did you even have a portfolio I had a portfolio um, I had I had been photographing like my friends that I grew up with and I would create these like mock campaigns and I, at the time I was working at this yearbook studio and so like my day job to just make money while I was living in Florida was to go photograph yearbook photos at different schools but I would just break in on the weekends I'd break into the studio and invite my friends and then I would like find makeup artists and stuff like that that would come in and I would shoot like campaigns that no one was paying me to do. I would just like finance like models and makeup artists and stuff to start creating a portfolio. So I had a book of work. Very proactive. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think that's something that people are always like, I want to I want to shoot for this company or I want to work for this brand or X, Y, Z. And I'm like, if you don't have the type of work that, that brand would want, it's very unlikely that you're ever going to get that type of work. And so I still even to this day shoot um, shoot free projects and shoot personal work that I can use to like sell to those brands. Um, but I just applied to every internship that I could and got one. I got a graphic design internship uh, at Vayner. Basically, it was really cryptic. I got this call super late at night. I actually think that they must have like given the internship to someone else and then that person backed out because I just got the call at like 10 p.m. on a Tuesday and they were like, can you be here in two weeks? And I said, sure. Um, and so I didn't know anyone, didn't have an apartment lined up, did nothing, found uh, a random apartment off Craigslist with someone who I thought was going to try and kill me in my sleep, uh, as I think most of our first New York City <laughs> apartments are. And um, and I moved. And, and that sort of was the first big step to, to figuring all this stuff out. Wow. Okay. So you were building a whole portfolio mm -hmm. um, so you could present your work while you didn't have work yet, yeah. which I think is brilliant. And then you were able to land a gig with like one of the most influential like people in media today, Gary Vee. And within two weeks, you moved to New York for that internship. Yeah. 
It's pretty yeah. wild. It was a, it was a big jump. Um, and it was a six week internship, right? So it's not even yeah, like guaranteed yeah, long sure. term. So you gotta go in there yeah. and kill it. Again, I I think maybe it's ignorance, maybe it's it's like the the weird confidence, but never once in my mind was I like, I'll only be there for six weeks. I was like, I'm gonna figure this out. Of <laughs> you course, know? And, that, that's a, a hero mindset. And it was really funny because <laughs> I, basically the way the internships work is you got paired up with an employee who you're basically, you had, I had like a creative director that I worked directly with and I was a designer. And I remember day one, he took me to lunch he was like, so what do you want to get out of the internship? And I was like, a job. <laughs> I was like, I straight said that. And he was like, okay. And I could feel that it, it wasn't a lack of confidence, but he was just like, so day one, you haven't even shown any work yet. And you're already like, I'm going to have a job here. Um, it's important to know your intention. That's Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the idea was that I would get a job at the agency, work for a couple of years, meet Gary, and then somehow, you know, collaborate, work with him on something. So you had this entire evil plan all yeah, set up yeah. before you even started the job. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I, I knew what I wanted to get out of it. And I also, mind you, like, you know, I was 21 when I moved. So I had had this weird, crazy, I'm going to go like be an artist and figure things out for like three or four years while all of my peers that I grew up with were like getting their like real grown-up jobs and going to college and getting their degrees and everything. And it's, I remember everyone was like, what is he doing? <laughs> it's funny that you still call it getting real grown-up jobs. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that you still call it that now. I still think. I'm, I'm, maybe I'll have to get a grown-up job one day. I yeah, <laughs> maybe I, we'll grow up one day. <laughs> maybe so. I mean, that's the thing is my parents and family, I, I think they're all very supportive now. Um, but even I know like my parents will be like, you don't have a real job. Come on. This is a game, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's a game. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I get to, I mean, don't get me wrong. I work a lot. The idea of work-life balance in my life does not even remotely exist. I basically work from when I wake up to when I go to sleep. But I get to control so much more in my life. And I'd rather work, you know, from when I wake up to when I go to sleep and have an immense amount of control over my life and f be fulfilled from the work I do um, than any other way. So uh, even though I don't think I have a grown-up job, I... I I guess it all works out. That's okay. We'll leave the grown-ups doing their boring yeah. <laughs> thing, and we'll stay in the playground making content. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> Damn. I mean, so after the internship, what happened? Because it was only six weeks. Did you land the full-time job? I did, but not at all how it was intended. I basically had been told that I was going to have a job. Um, they were like, yes, we were going to find a place for you. And I was like, great, because I was killing it. I was showing up. I was first one in, last one out. Then uh, they basically, there was a shift in like creative teams just a couple days before my internship was officially supposed to be up. And I got this email and they were just like, hey, we're so sorry. We actually don't have a job for you. So like this Friday is your last day. Oh my God. Um, I was pretty bummed. I remember I, I walked out of the office. I just left in like the middle of the day and I went. I, the office the was, bar. Yeah, <laughs> the office was on um it was on 23rd and park at that time before they moved to hudson yards um and so i like walked uh down to union square sat on a bench and cried Aww. and i was just like what am i gonna do because i had nothing i was running out of money there was no other like job opportunities that were lining up um not a lot of people were gonna like take a swing on like this you know college dropout who was gonna like be a designer or a photographer or anything and you were still really new in new york so it's not like you had a whole yeah, network yeah, of people yeah i had only you know i had only been here um for you know a month and a half at that point so everything was very very fresh and so um sort of as my last ditch effort 
before I didn't know what was going to happen, whether I was going to move back to Florida or, you know, who knows what was going to happen. I sent Gary just a cold email. It was basically like, hey, uh, I came here to work with you. I'm an intern. I would just love to say hey on my last day. And you had never met him when you sent that email? No, we had never met before, had never talked. Oh, my God. No, it was completely cold email. And he responded really fast and said, yeah, sure. Like CC'd his assistant, set up a time. And that day that the meeting came around um, was was the next day, I think. Uh, Gary was running really late. And so they were like, sorry, you can't do your meeting. And I was like, this is my last week. I, I was like, I can't be rescheduled because I don't know where <laughs> I'm going to be. And so they were like, OK, well, here, like he's going to go uptown and see some family. So just jump in the car with him. And so we got in the car and I basically just immediately was like, hey, um, I need to work for you. Wow. Yeah. That so, like elevator pitch yeah, but in a cab. Yeah. I was Holy super crap. nervous. And it was really funny because the whole thing was filmed too. Um, so like there's footage of the entire meeting that oh exists, which is just God. so awkward because I look like I'm 12 years old and I'm like nervous and shaking. And I had given myself a buzz cut because I just <laughs> didn't want to have, I was like, I'm not going to have hair. But then I immediately regretted it. So it was <laughs> the middle of summer and I was wearing a beanie because I, uh, I didn't want anyone to like see that I had no hair. And I remember him being like, it's like 90 <laughs> degrees outside. Why are you wearing a beanie? And I was like, he thinks I'm so weird. <laughs> By the end of that car ride, he basically had given me an assignment to make some stuff for him. And so immediately I made that stuff. And long story short, I was moved over to his team uh, the next day. Wow. Gary makes things move fast, huh? Like yeah, you, yeah. You cold emailed him, got a meeting the next day, yeah. and then... So within 48 hours, you got yourself a job. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is like serendipity. And so it's so good to not think too much about things before you start executing on them. Because I reached out at just the perfect time in which like there was an opening on the team. He wanted to start taking everything way more seriously. This is 2016. This is before he was like the Gary Vee everyone knew today. He had like maybe a hundred thousand subscribers on Instagram or something or followers. It was not like he was this huge guy yet. He was, it was sort of just starting to ramp up and get really serious about content. Um, and so I kind of just slotted in at this like perfect time where there was an opening and I was able to fill that, that space. This brings me back to the importance of intention because mm -hmm. when you know your intention or your goal, when you're making specific moves, when that opportunity comes up, you know what to do. Like yeah. you're prepared for it because you've thought about it. You know what you're trying to achieve and, and you can learn to communicate it as well. Even before the internship started, you were already like, I'm going to get a full time job here. Mm -hmm. So having that in mind and that mentality of I am going to make this work. I think that's what also allows you to have these ideas mm -hmm. that are really bold, which you're like, not even thinking twice about you're like yeah i'm gonna you know cold email gary v and see what happens if you don't believe in yourself nobody else will and i think what you did with gary probably called his attention because i don't think anybody really does that you're not going to get what you don't ask for so you have to make yourself seen in those situations i wasn't prepared i was i was i had it dialed for a five minute meeting i was ready for that five minute meeting um and then that whole plan like went out the window and we got in the car I think you can never be too prepared for these things, you know, <laughs> because there's the nerves that yeah, come in and yeah. you were so young. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I feel like it's better for you to do something than not to do anything. So even yeah. if it doesn't sound perfect or you mess up a little bit, mm -hmm. like there's so many times that I pitch myself that after I'm like, oh man, like I shouldn't yeah, have said yeah. that or that did not make me look good, which is why I always motivate people to go to a lot of networking events so you can mm -hmm. make tons of mistakes with people who don't matter. Yeah. So when you meet the right person, like you're ready. Totally. So 
but it's so <laughs> it's crazy that you just did that pitch in the cab with him yeah i love gary like i listen to his podcast i watch all his stuff and it, he released an episode recently where he, he was showing his schedule and it's mm -hmm. like i think from 12 to 1205 meeting yeah. <laughs> and then 1205 to 1215 another meeting yeah, so yeah. damn you were really able to make an impression there yeah yeah it was really cool yeah i, I love g i have um he gave me uh such a huge opportunity that has influenced like everything i've done up to this point everything I, I will do will all be a result of those initial few years um in that building so like immense amount of gratitude for him. So after you got that job, what did you feel like were the next steps from you from there? Cause you seem to be very mm -hmm. goal oriented. So yeah. I feel like after you achieve something, you're like, okay, so this is what's next. So what was going yeah. through your mind after you had gotten that job? It was a lot of like sort of grinding years of just trying to develop craft as much as I could. And I kind of felt like I had been punched in the face. Like day one on his team, I was like, yo, everyone's so much better than me. It's insane. There's this kind of funny joke, uh, Andy Cranach, who is Gary's brand director at the time. Um, I, my first day, I did a terrible job. Like I was, it took me so long to make everything. I was so nervous. And I remember walking up to Andy at the end of the day and was just like, I promise I'll do better tomorrow. <laughs> and, and it's funny because Andy's always like, that's when I knew you were gonna do great is because um, I had a very real understanding that I was a very small fish in a very big pond and I had a long way to go. And so I remember after actually getting on the team, it just became about like consuming and learning as much as I could to become the best, you know, filmmaker, editor, photographer that, that I could be. What were things that you had to learn like on the job, if anything? Because you were primarily graphic designer and photographer, mm -hmm. but I know that you also do video today. Yeah. So how did that progress? Was it just your initiative? Did they start asking you to make video? How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, day one, they like handed me a hard drive of videos and they were like, start cutting. Like I had to like start making things. Um, so you learned on the, on the yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was learning on the job for video. I knew a little bit of video, but it was, I was primarily photographer, graphic designer. So the skills were rusty at best. So I would, you know, work all day and then go home and I would watch tutorials all night, like practice and everything. And then be, you know, always trying to be first one into the office um, to keep sort of learning and just taking every opportunity. Every time there was a video that needed to get made or there was an idea floating around or a pitch, like I would always be the first person to jump on it and say like, let me get a swing. Um, and I, I make the joke a lot, uh, and I don't know if people believe me or not, but I have very few memories of the entire year of 2017 because that was my first like very intense year on Gary's team, and I just uh, never stopped working. Um, so I literally like cannot recall much of that year because I just like blacked <laughs> out and fully like went into the matrix. Blacked down in work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that was it. Something that gave me kind of a unique special position on that team was having, you know, the photo skills, developing video skills, knowing design, understanding how to like do creative direction, how to package things up. It sort of creates this world where you become very indispensable because so many people are like niche down, like just pick one thing and just do that. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm actually very pro generalist. I'm like, have as many skill sets as you can because it gives you the ability to like slot into multiple places. And, you know, if you're going to be a video person, understanding how to do photo and vice versa, having a good understanding of layout and design, even if you don't want to be a designer, because then you're taking photos and you're like, OK, I understand where text is going to go, how layout should work. And that will influence the way you approach like shooting and capturing these things. And so I think for me, having this sort of weird toolbox of skills um, made me really valuable because 
you know, there were days where I was just doing video and just editing and just shooting. And then Gary called me one night and he's like, hey, can you design a book cover? And I was like, okay, cool. So the next week was spent on a book cover. And then I got sent out to shoot like a full campaign where I was doing photo, video and design. And so uh, having all these different tools in your bag um, can really sort of set you apart. As the industry progresses, those people are going to become more and more valuable. So that's I, really cool. Yeah, I think that having a lot of different uh, different skill sets is going to be really beneficial. I um, went through a similar process. I also started with photography, but mm-hmm. my first passion was landscape photography. Okay. And then I started getting some like requests to do video. And then by the time I moved to New York, I was just so hungry uh, to learn and to know about all of the things that I could be mm-hmm. that I just said yes to every opportunity that came my way, yeah. even if I had never done that thing before. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a mentality that you and I share, which I also think is one of the secrets to success. Having that um, confidence to bet on yourself is important. And I think it's also important for people to understand that people bet on themselves, not because they know everything or because they always know what they're doing. It's just because they have faith that they'll figure it out. Getting to a city where like things are happening is probably like the best hack for building something initially, right? Especially in this world where everyone's like, ah, remote work, remote work, remote work. I'm like, nah, like there's something about being um, in the place where like things are happening uh, that can connect dots and allow for like that serendipity to happen in the same way that like none of my career would have hit would have been possible for what it's been so far if I would have stayed in Tallahassee Florida it just wouldn't have existed I just feel like living in big cities is like being in a casino you're just taking bets and (laughs) (laughs) seeing what happens yeah (laughs) yeah but I think you gotta you gotta take a lot of swings oh yeah like the cities like this give infrastructure to do that Anything is possible in a place like New York. And I think it's because people come here with that mentality of, I got this big dream and I'm going to make it happen. And I think it's important for you to just be flexible as to what that can become. I never get too attached to like, oh, I need to have a job with this person at this place by this age. It's kind of like that can be my initial intention, but I kind of just follow wherever the energy fluctuates to. And if it's like there's more opportunity somewhere else, I might pursue that. So this past 10 years... I've explored like so many different career paths um, in production, videography, video editing, assistant editing. I worked in virtual production last year for Amazon Prime, which was crazy. It is the future. What's been your favorite thing? About, out of all these things that you, you've tried over the last decade? like Honestly, I loved working uh, with Tommy Hilfiger. I did, um, I produced his social media campaign that came out fall 2022. Okay. That was really cool. Um, because I always wanted to work on a big fashion campaign. That was like a dream that I had last year. And it's funny because I manifested it. Mm -hmm. I had written it on my wall that I really wanted a fashion gig. I got it through Facebook. Did you know? Wow. uh, There's someone posted looking for a couple different positions, and I was like, I can do all of these. (laughs) On just like Marketplace or like On a Facebook group for filmmakers. Filmmakers in New York. Okay, cool. That's how I survived during COVID too. Filmmakers in LA. Mm -hmm. I would just um, look for gigs there. And it's funny because it connects really well with what we're talking about because I had to give him also like a five minute pitch Mm -hmm. of like, he's like, what do you do? Like, what's your experience? And I just told him like, I do a bit of everything. I film, I edit, I produce, I'm a photographer. I like being able to, when we're on set, if Mm -hmm. something goes wrong, I want to know what's happening and be able to fix it. 
or be yeah. able to like have a conversation with a director of photography mm -hmm. and discuss creative ways for us to get through it. So that's why actually I always wanted to learn all the positions on a film set because mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to um, fix everything if needed and also to lead my own projects in the future, which is what I'm doing right now. When I told him that, he's like, I love that. I am exactly the same. Mm -hmm. We're like little rare unicorns. You got the job. Can you start right now? <laughs> I was yeah. like, yeah. And then within like three days, I had to put together a team and the whole oh, thing. Wow. It yeah. was pretty crazy. You have to just be a creative problem solver. Yeah. So like I was a producer on Hassan's Netflix special. Um, and every time someone asks me like, so what does a producer do? I'm just like, ah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, what do I do? What do I not do? <laughs> uh, you know, like you're just creative problem solving. Yeah. Um, so whether that's like, at least for what my position was, whether that means um, managing things in pre-production and putting together mock-ups and storyboards all the way through, uh, you know, actual production. And that can be everything from like shooting photography to working alongside the director and the director of photography and like picking out shots and working with the grip and then yeah. randomly going to get Hassan coffee. And then I directed the whole edit. And so it's like, you have to be able to just slot into these things and like solve problems and fill space where necessary. And if you can develop that skill set, you're like, you're good job security forever you become so essential to every single department mm -hmm. that if you leave like the whole glue you know yeah yeah falls sure. apart is that totally does that english make any sense yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the glue yeah. falls apart yeah you you are the glue that keeps everything together yes there you go in the beginning you have to say yes to everything yes um, and you should and like i did uh but as you start developing um, a career and a name for yourself and a body of work you need to start becoming uh very picky on all those jobs that you take was there ever a job that you took that you were like, oh my God, this is dreadful? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I was like uh, younger, I did tons of weddings, like when I was still living in Florida. Um, so like I would work at this like yearbook studio and then I would, I would photograph weddings on the weekends. I hated all of them. And this is always a fun story. The very first wedding I ever photographed, photographed for $500, thought I was rich. Um, <laughs> and the couple divorced before I could deliver the photos. No way. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fun one. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. It was funny because I remember being there and I was just like, they don't seem right together. And I, <laughs> and I predicted it. <laughs> Do you feel like now you have like a sixth sense? You can tell when couples are coming. Oh, I don't want to say that in case <laughs> no? people watch this. <laughs> can you imagine? Oh, yeah. Whenever wild. you're at a wedding, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to be like, are they going to last? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask oh, you. Man. So you're someone who's always been very flexible to opportunities, mm -hmm. threw yourself out there. How did you end up like working with Hassan Minhaj? Like, how yeah. did that even come about? I'm sure you have a really interesting story behind it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Hassan and I originally met at Vayner, actually. Hassan was on Gary's podcast and he knew me, um, which was really bizarre to me. He had like, he had watched all the videos and was aware of me. In all of Gary's videos that I would edit, I would always poke fun at myself in the edit. I just think it's like, you gotta be self-deprecating. I would like exaggerate when Gary was making fun of me or if I messed something up and Gary would like roast me, I would like 10X it in the edit and really make it <laughs> like he was digging into me. And so I remember Hassan knew me from that. And he made this joke on the episode where he was like, why don't you just give yourself a win once? He's like, you control the edit. Why do you keep making yourself lose? And I was just like, I think it's just more fun. It creates this like character dynamic between like Gary and I that we're always like roasting each other back and forth. It was even to a point where there were comments of people being like, I can't believe this guy hasn't gotten fired yet. And I wasn't actually doing that bad. I was just like amping it up <laughs> in the edit to make it funnier. And so that's how Hassan originally knew me. When was that? Um, 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. Damn. And then um, in 2019, I left Vayner to do an artist fellowship with Adobe. So I just like worked with Adobe for a year. That's how we met. Yeah. Yeah. So I was uh, I was hosting an event in LA at YouTube Space. And I approached you. That you were at. Yeah. Yeah. And that was. Yeah, like 2019. 2019, like and then we yeah. stayed in touch on social media yeah. and only reconnected really like last year. Yeah, just like a few months ago. The power of networking. I know. Hey. <laughs> you should VFX like an explosion or whatever. Oh, you got it. Um, <laughs> okay, so Adobe. And so, uh, I was working for Adobe and then um, uh, sort of the fellowship with Adobe ended like right whenever COVID was like kicking off. Um, so I was like, what do I do? And just started making YouTube videos and was just, uh, making like a lot of sponsored content, which really didn't like. Um, I had actually, it was kind of a weird moment because I, I felt like I had achieved the dream of like being able to survive full time off YouTube, but I was just making videos that I knew would ultimately get more sponsorships to continue making videos and just like stack cash. So I hated everything I was making. I don't even have them on. As soon as the contracts expired, I, I took them off the channel. Wow, um, then don't work with commercials. You'll hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just, well, it, was just, it wasn't that I disliked the work or anything. It was that I was not pushing myself artistically mm. at all. Um, wasn't challenging myself. And I was just doing what I thought I should do that like fit the platform at the time so like different like tutorials and things like that that just were not creatively fulfilling to me i was putting too much energy into that and so it really kind of fried me so i had made this trip um to joshua tree which is like my favorite place in the world i go there uh usually a few times a year and had made a little video that was actually inspired by a podcast that hassan was on um, and so he was on a podcast with Jeff Staple, who Jeff Staple is a designer in New York City, um, who I'm friends with. And I had actually made a day in the life documentary on Jeff as a part of my Adobe fellowship. And so Hassan and Jeff met and then Hassan randomly saw the video that I had made that was inspired by a podcast he was on. So I used like a little snippet of his voice and then Hassan reached out and was like, hey, like, what are you up to? He reached yeah. out to you. Yeah, yeah. So you I sure made an impression. Yeah, I got this kind of random cryptic text message. Um, <laughs> and he was just like, hey, can you jump on the phone? And he called me really late. I was living on the West Coast at the time. He called me at like 10 p.m. So it was like 1 a.m. in New York. He had so much energy. I was like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he was just telling me all these ideas that he had and like what he was working on. And I was sort of like burnt out with the work that I was doing. He was like, hey, I'm going on tour. Like I'm starting this production company. Do you want to be a part of it? I was like, absolutely. And then Hassan and I have been working together for almost two years now. Again, serendipity in the same way that Gary, you know, needed someone at the time. And like I was able to slot in. Hassan was looking to um, have someone capture the tour and to like help build this production company. And like sort of like kismet allowed our kind of paths to cross um, at the right time. And so then he reached out. I have to know, like, have you had any insecurities or moments of doubt throughout this journey? Because it seemed like everything flowed so perfectly. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm sure that most of your energy was spent on winning and doing better and keep going. But did you have moments of struggle? And if anything, what was it? Yeah, I mean, it's easy to sit here like on a podcast and just talk about the highlight reel. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of losses and a lot of times doubting myself. I still like I struggle a ton with like self-confidence and um, believing in myself and thinking that I'm capable of these things, even though I have a, a track record that can say otherwise. I think it's really easy to uh, 
forget where you started and like where you are now. And so I've gone through tons of phases where I'm just like, everything's breaking, I'm failing, I'm gonna have to move back to Florida. Like it's, everything's crumbling. Um, I find myself like getting trapped in these thought patterns all the time, They're totally natural. Um, and so I constantly have to like course correct. That happens a lot whenever I'm like working on different projects and maybe I'm hitting a wall on the edit or I have a bad shoot day or something like that. Like those things always happen. And um, it's super easy for me to kind of unravel and, and forget uh, sort of like what I'm capable of doing and the work and all those things. There's this, um, this quote uh, from Ryan Holiday, who's my favorite author belief in yourself is overrated you should create evidence mm. um so i have like a notebook that has essentially like my my highlight reel if you will written out of like all the things i've done um the goals that i've had that i've accomplished and the goals that i have for the future and so anytime that i get stuck in that kind of thought process that pattern it can go back to um the evidence that i've, I've created for myself be like okay this is where i started this is where i'm at now um, i'm capable of of growth and achieving these things oh wow so so that's kind of like your method to get yourself back in order yeah that's like i always just say it's like the course correct and i think we mm. all like fall off course uh you know like stray from the path um and that's generally for me the best way to try and like get back into a, a good trajectory why do you think um, us humans are so sensitive to self-doubt oh if i knew i'd i'd be way wealthier <laughs> i don't know because like, i don't know like I, it's if, it's such a tough thing i don't think it's a matter of of why do we fall into these patterns it's more so creating systems to make sure you can get out of it um because i think it's really easy to get trapped in those those thought processes and there's nothing more common than unsuccessful people with talent uh because they get sort of stuck in those traps so yeah it's all um, about execution yeah yeah and just you know always being able to like you know connect with yourself. I do this thing like at the first of every month where I kind of like sit down and like journal with myself mm. um, and use that as kind of like a reset, like in the same way that usually like everyone sets like New Year's resolutions. Like I try and experience that feeling on like December 31st. I try to recreate that feeling at the start of every month, start of every week if you need to, um, to make sure that you're always, you know, staying aligned with your goals and, and what you want to do. That's really cool. A lot of people like fear having even New Year's resolutions because mm -hmm. they feel like if they don't achieve them by the end of the year, they have failed. Yeah. So I think doing it every 30 days is a more realistic approach of being like, where am I at right now? Are my goals still the same? Does my intention still align? And I think it's really easy for you kind of just to forget where you're going and get lost in the yeah. journey too. Totally. I actually, I think I'm gonna start doing that. Yeah, I think it's it's a great little trick. And then I think like, on the note of, of being you know scared to set goals, I think you have to always keep the things you wanna do and your goals kind of lofty in a way. Mm -hmm. And I always say like I have goals of like the type of person I wanna become versus I wanna do this amount of videos or make this amount of money or all those things. Cause I have very little control over those things. Life is going to ebb and flow, but I can have the goal of like, I wanna be healthier than what I was last year, cool. These are the steps that I need to make. There's not like a, you failed at this, you didn't fail at this. As long as I'm, you know, moving in a positive trajectory, then then everyone's winning. Um, and so that. keeping keeping your goals to be like, I want to be, I wanna be the best filmmaker I possibly can be. Here's the steps that I need to take to get that because that goal is not something I can achieve in a year. That's something that I'm gonna achieve in like 30 or 40 years, right? So uh, making sure that you're keeping 
keeping your goals as to something that continuously grows with you, not something that you can say you succeeded or you failed within a year. Oh yeah. my God, you just spoke to my heart. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it's it, it reminds me of how it's all about the journey of growth. It's not about achieving that specific goal. It's about the steps that you take towards that theoretical goal. Yeah, totally. We talked about a lot of stuff here today, yeah. but I want to know, like, how are you feeling about this next stage of your life? Because you just spent a year on tour. Mm -hmm. I mean, were there any highlights from that tour? Anything, any really big lessons that you had, like, personally throughout that journey? The biggest creative challenge that I kind of encountered is that you're essentially shooting the same thing every night, right? Lighting's the same. The set is the same. His material is the same. Like everything is fairly similar. So the biggest lesson, I guess, was starting to experiment creatively to find new things um, throughout the whole tour. So like I went through a phase where all I did was shoot Polaroids. So I shot um, like thousands and thousands of Polaroids throughout like a handful of shows. Um, and I, I did that specifically on like really big opportunities so like we shot on top of the radio city marquee one day and i shot the whole thing just in polaroid film um and then you know experimenting with cameras but also just experimenting with placement like where can i get to capture uh the show in a different way and then things like that were kind of a, a great learning lesson and i can take a lot of those ideas that were developed and implement them into the work going forward and then also just you know watching a you know, a performer, an artist, not in my medium, work and go through process, I think influenced me heavily in how I'll make um, films and tell stories in the future uh, in different ways, just watching someone else sort of craft and develop story over a year. How much did you learn about the stand-up world compared to the content creation world? Like, what do you think are some crossovers or some things that are really different between both of them? Yeah. Whenever Hassan and I first started traveling together and working on the show, the show was almost two hours long. And he trimmed um, over an hour of that material down. So there were tons of things that, you know, get lost on the cutting room floor. Was he talking to the audience or just feeling their energy? in response to the jokes? I think mostly just, you know, feeling energy. And then also Hassan's style of comedy is very different. You know, it's not just like, you know, set up punchline. No, yeah. You know, there's like a whole, a whole story, story structure. Yeah. yeah. And so it becomes like, how do you create a story that's as efficient as possible? So it really becomes like, you know, the phase of like, kill your darlings. Like you have to eliminate a ton of things. And I always make the jokes. My two favorite jokes of the entire show are not in the special that I think are the best. And I remember him telling me they were getting cut. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> At its core, the story is so important that we can trim things out that are like extremely high quality, um, all in an effort to just tell the most pure story. And that's something that I think as creators, um, it's really easy to get caught up in like, you know, random ideas and fancy ideas and you want to try all these things that may or may not work and you want to like inject all of those ideas into your final piece because you really love all of them. But saying like, okay, how can you meet the audience where they are and say, okay, we don't need this, we don't need this, we don't need this, we don't need this. And now what you're left with is actually like an incredibly powerful story. What are you trying to say? Like that's always the take is like, what do you want the audience to take from this? 
And until you answer that question, you can't even get through this whole like editing process. And so, you know, getting the take and then, you know, trimming everything down to just have the most efficient story and most mm. powerful story that you can has had a, a huge influence and impact. So every little moment of the stand up, he basically has to make sure that it's moving towards the goal of communicating something specific to the audience. And then also making sure that one idea flows into the next. Mm. Like the thing, I didn't really know anything about comedy and I still know very little about comedy. There's a lot for me to learn in a short period of time. But a good comedy special, a good comedy performance, it should start and then all of a sudden you're at the end, but you kind of like you shouldn't feel these like big yeah. turns that you're taking throughout the story. It's very it seamless. should be this very seamless, smooth thing. And so that was the biggest like thing that we learned is like the two jokes that I think are the funniest they got cut. Um, they just didn't connect the dots as smoothly. So it was like those got removed and other things got inserted. And I think that's something that applies to comedy and, you know, content creation and filmmaking and stuff like that is like how to create the smoothest story from start to finish um, so that uh, your audience stays and watches. So what's next? What are you working on right now? And yeah. what's the next big, bold move? <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, uh, 186K, which is the production company that uh, Hassan, uh, myself, and Prashanth all, all run, is in uh, production on its first feature film. So that will kind of be the next really big thing, really big undertaking. Have you ever produced a feature film before? No. Um, there he goes again. even remotely close. He's doing so, something for yeah. the first time um, and just going for it. <laughs> so like we'll just, <laughs> we'll learn as we do that. Um, and then I think that, you know, I have a, a handful of projects that I've been sort of developing for myself, different documentaries and stuff like that that I want to produce over the next couple of years. You know, to circle back to like the ultimate, the, the goals, I. I know I want to be the best filmmaker I can be. I have ambitions in the film world to direct and produce at certain levels. And so those are the end goals. And so until then, I will just continue swinging on like every monkey bar to get closer and closer to those things. And we'll continue saying yes to everything I can that will continue, continue on that trajectory. Is there anything that's making you really excited and really nervous about this next new phase? Yes and yes. And I think it's it's both the same thing. Like it's the the newness of learning something new, but also, you know, that that self-doubt is easy to creep in. And for me to be like, I've I've never produced a feature film. I have no idea where to start. Um, you know, I I'm on these calls and about scripts and meetings and things, and I'm just like, I have no idea what's happening. Um, and I'm, I'm convinced everyone knows that I don't know what's happening and that I don't know what I'm doing. And so that <laughs> makes you like very nervous. Um, but you just have to you know, keep showing up and just being willing to like learn and provide value wherever, wherever you can. I'm sure no one's even thinking about it. They're just assuming <laughs> that you know what's going on and that you got Hopefully they this. don't watch this podcast because I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> oh, man, I, it's the fake it till you make it kind of thing. It's a very real thing. For the most part, no one knows what they're doing. Exactly. No one knows. And like, Lady. we're all figuring out. I, I've worked, I've worked with like startups and I've worked with Fortune 50 brands and it's pretty much just as chaotic in both places. Um, so everyone's just doing their best and figuring it out. And so uh, for the most part, like if you're feeling that way, pretty much everyone else in the room is probably feeling somewhat similar. 
So I think final takeaways here. I would like to know if you have any advice for our audience, for anybody who who doesn't believe in themselves or is scared to make like the next move for the for themselves. Like what would be some words of encouragement or Yeah. yeah. I mean everything you want in life is just on the other side of fear, right? You have to just push through the things that are scary and that you don't know how to do. Um, and there's there's not a life hack, there's not a book or a show or a YouTube video that's gonna do any of that work for you. At some point, you are going to have to look yourself in the mirror and be like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do, and then go after that. Um, there's there's really no other way to accomplish those things. Um, so that's one thing is is actually just doing it. And then, you know, one of the biggest things is just remember that things are going to take longer than you anticipate them, you know, and don't get discouraged in those moments. Just remember that you have to be patient and continue um, pushing forward. And that might be uh, working for a year or five years or 10 years or 20 years before you get the thing that you want. But it, your core, if you know what you truly want, um, then you should enjoy that entire process getting to the to the end goal just as much as the goal itself. Where can people find you and learn more about you? Um, usually just Babin on on all platforms. I, I, I spend very little time on social media these days, so you can also email me at workwithbabin uh, at gmail, which is the personal line. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for joining. I yeah. really appreciate your time. Yeah, totally. This was great. Yay. Woo. We did it. We did it. Look at that. <laughs>